The formation of Auckland's supercity brings with it major changes for the region's most basic commodity, water. A large monopoly water company will take over the eight existing council's supply operations just months after a short-lived warning that water restrictions might be needed next summer. Radio New Zealand's Auckland issues correspondent Todd Nile explores on this Insight programme the impact of the changes. It was the start of the 1990s. Double J and twice the T were wrapping their way around schools in Auckland. Just one of the voices singing the water conservation message. Robert T. Frog, he took a trip one day to see how we were going on the conservation way. He asked us some questions, he told us what to do. And now he's got to sing conservation songs for you. The Regional Council's water conservation campaign had its own ambassador in a cartoon-like character called Robert D. Frog to win over the school kids. It was a prophetic campaign. By early 1994, Auckland was in the grips of its worst ever water crisis. A dry summer followed by a dry winter saw the region's storage lakes shrink to just 33%. Restrictions and water savings measures were unprecedented. Late and heavy winter rainfall broke the drought, but not the resolve of the region's mayors to ensure there was no repeat. After heated debate over conservation versus construction, $160 million was spent on a pipeline to bring water to Auckland from the Waikato River. Many thought it was a permanent solution until this year. The Auckland region is facing a dry spell, and if that dry spell was to continue through the winter months, we could be facing water restrictions next summer. This morning, Auckland's regional water supplier, Watercare Services, sounded an early warning in April that the 1993 cycle was repeating. Reservoirs were below average. Again, rain saved the day, but it was a reminder that keeping Auckland watered commands attention. Ravin Jadaram is the chief operating officer at Watercare Services, the local body-owned company which runs the supply system. The dry period earlier this year uh, could happen any year. I mean, we have a drought security standard which says that there's a small probability in any year that we will need to raise additional awareness about wise use of water. We try to do that every year, every summer. Um, So I would say that uh, it wasn't of great concern, but it is always of concern because we don't have large storage. You know, I mean, when you talk about the Australian water suppliers, they've got the equivalent of 60 months. We've got only eight months of storage. So... One relatively dry winter, which is when we get our rain, does create concern for us as to how we operate and manage our system. Managing that system from the lakes all the way through to the taps will be entirely Watercare's job after Auckland's eight local bodies merge into one in November. At the same time, their retail water operations will be absorbed by Watercare, which will become the region's super water company. It will inherit a range of different philosophies on water and will have to decide which to adopt. At one end of the spectrum is Waitakere City. Its Deputy Mayor, Penny Hulse, says the city's taken a hands-on approach to reducing water use. The water crisis in the, in the early 90s led Waitakere to have a good look at how we were managing water. 
and it became clear to us that demand management, looking at reducing the amount of water used by each person, was not a very difficult thing to achieve and certainly cheaper in the long run than building the Waikato pipeline. Eco Matters, this is Susie speaking. How can I help you? Sure, we can install a flow restrictor in your shower if you'd like. No, it's free. Frontline conservation work in Waitakere City is done by the charitable trust Ecomatters, whose work includes a neighbourhood doorknock programme, installing water-saving devices free of charge. Tejopala Rawls is the trust's sustainable homes programme co-manager. The arsenal of water-saving gadgets is to be found in their new Lynn offices. So what we've got here is an early generation dual flush toilet. The old single flush toilets used 11 litres per flush. The first generation dual flush toilets like this one used 11 litres on the full flush and 7 litres on the half flush. A typical new generation uses 6 and 3 and then the best ones will use 4.5 and, and 3. So um, this still needs a gizmo, we think. The gizmo is a simple lead weight which cuts off a toilet flush as soon as the button's released. This is a tap aerator. Um, what this, can, this can be fitted onto most taps, especially the modern kitchen taps, and what it does is it slows down the amount of water that comes out. And I go with Angela Stewart on one of the door knocks through a target area, a townhouse complex near the New Lynn Town Centre. We drop off a flyer in everybody's letterbox just explaining that Waitakere Council and Ecomatters are offering free water-saving devices. We just show what sort of savings they'll get and then we... Um, say that we'll be calling back in the next week um, to help them fit the devices and if they don't think they'll be home during the day then they can we leave our number and they can give us a call and we'll arrange to come out at a time that suits them. The Ecomatters Trust has been into more than 2,000 homes over the past few years in Waitakere City, just one part of a strategy to cut the city's per capita water consumption by 25%. Tejapala Rawls. Occasionally we get updates from um, one of our main funders, EcoWater, which is the water retailer for Waitakere City Council. And in my time here, per capita water use has gone down from around 170 litres per person per day to 157 litres per person per day. Now, in Melbourne, where there's insane water restrictions going on, they're aiming to get people around 125. And actually, that's Waitakere City Council's aim as well. So we've moved them in about the last three years, we've moved things in that direction. I mean, we can't claim all of the water savings ourselves here at Ecomatters, but I think we can claim a reasonably large part of that. So it's not done by any means everything, but we've only been into a fraction of the homes and we've already shifted it that much. You've got various funding partners. What happens to the trust and its work under the Super City model from the 1st of November on? Well, the aim is we just work region-wide. Um, I think we've got a very strong case to put to uh, Watercare, who will become the, the region's water supplier, that actually we can save ratepayers money and we can save them as an organisation money because it's actually cheaper to, for us to go and help people save water than it is for them to have to build new capacity in the form of dams. Yes. Hi, um, we left the brochure in your letterbox about the free water saving devices. Oh. Sorry, you're in the middle of cooking. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because uh, we just uh, had a new one, Yeah. That's the first day. Yeah. <laughs> you're doing well to have yeah. us here. 
With a new baby in the household, this West Auckland couple has other uses for the $500 a year that they could save on water and water heating bills from the fitting of a handful of small plastic devices. It's reduced at about two litres a minute, Parker. Yeah. Um, so I could try and reduce it maybe a couple more and you'll still get a good pressure. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Ecomatters says if similar savings were made in every home in the region, householders would save at least $57 million a year and cut water use by 12 billion yeah, litres. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. All the best for your sleeping. Next door to Waitakere, the region's largest local body, Auckland City, has taken quite a different approach. The city's water operation was put into a council-owned company called Metro Water, run on commercial lines, paying a dividend to the council. Metro Water has focused on eliminating leaks in its network. Its chief executive, Tim Hammond, says the most dramatic change in customer behaviour came with the introduction of metres and charging for the volume of water consumed. However, the initial price-driven drop in water use has faded as prices continue to rise. There is some effect. It's not as dramatic as introducing it was. The people's behaviour is fairly inelastic. They need quite a big change to actually incentivise them to do something different. Uh, we do see some change in there. Uh, it certainly raises awareness, but I wouldn't say there's been, each price rise has had a huge impact in driving conservation. The price rises haven't been done to drive conservation primarily. They're there to cover the cost of running the network because one difficulty you do face uh, when you have variable prices like we do, every water, uh, reduction in volume means we have less income coming in, so we have to cover our cost. The cost of doing the job doesn't actually get any smaller. So in the short term, it does have some short-term price increase disadvantages. However, uh, longer term, the conservation has a benefit because long term, if you save water, you save the need for future investment. You put off the new dam, the new water treatment plant. That saves millions and millions, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. Tim Hammond says Metro Water did look at household conservation programs and at schemes in Australia where rebates are offered for buying water-efficient appliances. It's not something where there's the short-term payback. It certainly has looks good and has that feel-good factor at it, but it's economic reality and the real difference it's going to make. Uh, we've looked at that and uh, it's marginal at best, to be quite honest. And we've, there are bigger fish we can chase to make savings in terms of both cost and in terms of actual water demand. Uh, and leakage being the primary one there, which has been our focus. It was our biggest issue and that's the one we've tackled first. Metro Water's approach also involves working with big water users such as industrial plants. We've got um, three rectifiers. In the rectifiers we have uh, town supply water running through uh, at about 10 litres per second. Uh, so it's a very high use of water. Um, Phil Hodgson is the maintenance manager at Fletcher Aluminium's Mount uh, Wellington plant where a major water saving project is underway. Melting raw aluminium and then making extrusions for joinery is a water intensive business. Drinking quality water flows through tanks holding up to 460,000 litres before going into the stormwater system, literally down the drain. The project which has been initiated is to design and implement a closed loop system for that water. So we don't actually use that fresh water, we just have a, 
a closed loop system which uh, gets chilled and refreshed if need be, but does have a, quite a substantial saving in terms of about 18,000 kilolitres per year. We're probably halfway down the track now, but the payback period is going to be about 1.9 years, uh, which is quite good in terms of um, you know, average payback for projects. We have a similar project that we're going to implement uh, later on, and that's going to be probably roughly the same amount of water savings. So if you're looking at dollar savings, it's going to be approximately $53,000 a year each, which is quite a lot of money considering um, you know, the overheads involved in the business. So, yeah, we're very happy with the progress that we've made. By the time the work's over, Fletcher Aluminium's on-site recycling will save Auckland 36 million litres of water a year. Watercare Services maintains that most of Auckland's industrial water users are already as efficient as they can be and that few big savings remain to be had. In the middle of industrial Mount Wellington, Phil Hodgson sees it differently. When you look around across um, industry, you often find that uh, some plants have been set up you know, 20 years ago, but as technology has moved on, uh, they haven't actually put in uh, more energy-efficient ways of using the equipment. So that's a, quite a big driver for us. You know, we don't want to be stuck back in the 1980s or, or 70s, so um, there's a, technology is actually developing really fast, so you need to keep in tune with it and use what you can to um, actually keep that sustainability program going. The Waitakere and Auckland City experiences highlight two different views on water. Waitakere City has kept its water operation within the council structure, more directly steered by its politicians. The Deputy Mayor, Penny Hulse, says the conservation philosophy and the goal of cutting per capita consumption by 25% has a sound economic base. Everybody is interested in saving money, and whether you come from an environmental perspective or not, the costs that we're looking at in the future, whether it's providing a new dam or upgrading Māngere, the costs are huge, and the Waitakere approach looks at trying to avoid these costs, trying to manage water in a way that is far more affordable and does away with huge and expensive infrastructure. So you can look at the environmental perspectives of that, but the economic perspectives stack up just as well. In Auckland City, Metro Water is a council-controlled organisation, or CCO. That means it's owned by the council, but run on commercial lines with its own board of directors and at arm's length from the politicians. Tim Hammond doesn't believe that that on its own makes it less interested in Waitakere-style conservation programs. We have control over our income and our expenses, and our current mandate is to run that service to be break-even, so everything we do has to be funded from our own fees. Uh, and if it makes economic sense, we'll do it. That economic sense is, can it pay for itself? That driver may or may not be there in the council. I can't talk to what that is. We... Do know, though, that when we do those sort of things or don't do them, we have got an economic case as to why it is or isn't being done, and we're quite clear around that. So at least that gives us a surety around the reason why the decision is being made. Uh, We do have, obviously, from our council, our shareholder, a strategic drive to achieve certain objectives for the community at large, Their primary focus, to be quite honest, has been on clearing up the harbour in the short term for the water company. That's the priority. Water conservation is 
is something that comes behind that in the pecking order of importance. Like Metro Water, Watercare Services is a council-controlled organisation, kept at a distance from the politicians. It's the combination of that structure and the fact that Watercare will become the only retailer in the region that has some Aucklanders fired up. North Shore city residents rallied recently to voice concerns about their council's water operations being put into what they regard as a commercially driven water care. I object to these weasel words, privatisation. It isn't privatisation, it's commercialisation for profit. So let's stop talking about privatisation and use the correct term, commercialisation. Send you for Parliament, right? Mostly they fear privatisation. That's their view of new legislation allowing council water companies to strike deals for up to 35 years with private companies to build or operate their networks. City councillor Grant Gillen was one of those who organised the meeting. What the super city reforms have done is taken away water from the domain of elected uh, people and put it into a commercialised council controlled company. But it also allows for dividends to be paid and it also, um, I think more frighteningly, removes the elected members from having direct oversight of what's happening with water supply and water quality for the people. And so it's, in effect, water's been put into a silo for commercialisation. The new relationship between Watercare Services and its owner, the Auckland Council, is behind the privatisation fears. The same relationship could play a key role in deciding how conservation-minded the enlarged water company will be. Until now, there have been two checks on how Watercare operated. The eight council's retailers in negotiating wholesale water prices have been able to challenge Watercare's investment plans, which affect costs and pricing. The councils themselves have had a shareholders' representative group, or SRG, which negotiates annually with Watercare over its goals and direction. But North Shore's Deputy Mayor Julia Parfitt, who was until this term on the shareholders' group, describes it as having had a very weak relationship with Watercare, especially for the smaller councils. You had a situation there where the two major councils who had the majority of the shares, Auckland City and Manukau, often teamed up and many of the other shareholding councils felt that they had little control over what was happening. The differing opinions weren't exceptionally great, but we had philosophical differences. Uh, Manukau and Auckland had their wastewater operations, water operations in companies, and we had a completely different philosophy here on the shore. We had our own wastewater system, our own wastewater treatment plant, and we were basically a retailer for Watercare's water assets. So often in terms of little issues like exactly how we should ensure that there was continuous water supply and uh, setting targets, realistic targets, looking at issues like water conservation, which were strong issues for my council, didn't seem to be given the same mileage as the issues for the majority shareholders, Auckland City and Manukau. Under the new structure, the Auckland Council will negotiate Watercare's statement of corporate intent, the chance for elected representatives to make demands on issues such as conservation. Waitakere's Penny Hulse is sceptical. The statement of intent is 
quite a weak process for controlling um, the board who will actually be the governors of water care. The council, my experience over the last 10 years, is that council has made quite strong statements around the need for sustainable management of water, but the board of water care have been able to call up the trump card, which is the need to retain supply to, to Auckland in all conditions. It's been very hard to open up that debate to a more sustainable water management plan when their long-term investment in infrastructure still remains the number one topic around the board table. To fundamentally change that approach is going to take a very strong council and a process that is somewhat stronger than the statement of intent. Despite the difficulties of the past, Julia Parfitt believes the public and council will have a greater influence on the direction of the new water care. For a start off, water care is going to have a much more direct involvement with its consumers, the public. For years, water care has only had six customers, the councils of the Auckland region. Come 1 November, it's going to have 1.4 million customers. So like any business, it's going to have to become far more, or hopefully it will become far more, customer-focused. And I think the public will be quite demanding. The opportunity for councillors to influence the direction and policies of water care has been strengthened by changes to the super city legislation. David Wilson, the director of AUT University's Institute of Public Policy, says one of the key things is a tweak which his organisation called for. Some small words were changed in terms of how the CCO was to operate, and that was that they are to give effect to the plans and strategies of the council rather than have regard to. Uh, which was in the previous legislation, to our mind that's actually uh, quite a leap forward. But there has also been some other accountability measures put in place that sit behind the statement of intent, um, which for all intents and purposes is a broad document giving setting out principles for the general direction around how an organisation will operate. You need to have those other performance measures that sit behind that. If push came to shove now between the council, the owner and the organisation, then the owner's in a much better position now, you think, to, to get its way. Yes, I do think so. But while the Auckland Council may have influence, David Wilson says Watercare will have almost a monopoly on water expertise in the region, making it hard to challenge any arguments which the company mounts. I guess probably the biggest problem that we will encompass in terms of this, if you like, monopoly, is how will we know that we are receiving the best price? Uh, how do we benchmark against it? So whilst we've got a whole bunch of mechanisms around accountability and transparency which will enable us to look at the operation of the organisation, how do we know that that organisation is operating in the most efficient way as compared to others? Presumably we will have to compare it to a similar type of organisation in a similar metropolitan context. We don't know how that's going to play out. North Shore City Councillor Tony Holman briefly chaired Watercare Services in the early 1990s and later sat on the Shareholders' Representative Group, or SRG. He believes the Auckland councillors will have to work hard to keep the water company accountable. Critical will be um, just how good they are and how much concentration they put and how much effort they put into digging into the way Watercare or any other such a party might be monitored. We, when I was on the SRG, uh, several times had to bring in outside consultants to try to analyse 
more fully for us and in a professional way uh, matters to do with uh, asset management, to do with uh, forward planning for financial matters and, and loans and, and the costs of all of those. And we had to do that because naturally you've got to monitor and you can't ask the the people you're monitoring to monitor themselves and, and be absolutely sure that the answers are absolutely in the public interest. Watercare Service's commitment to conservation measures is recorded in a document called the Three Waters Strategic Plan. The plan was jointly agreed nearly two years ago by Watercare and all of the region's councils. The Chief Operating Officer, Ravine Jadaram, says savings targets in that plan and increasing the throughput of the Waikato River pipeline will keep Auckland going for a while. Well, at the moment, we in the three-water strategy, we've got this um, 15% reduction in demand, per capita demand. That's up to 2025. And with the current upgrades to Waikato, we should be able to get to about 220-225. So... We've got enough out of the Waikato and through the savings for the next uh, 15 years. The company has yet to decide which of the current council conservation policies to continue. Ravine Jandaram says there won't be any huge changes straight away. For water care, the, the initiatives aren't new. You know, The staff in water care and the management and the board, they've all been very aware of the need. Um, and so I don't, I don't expect there to be a huge change. We're not on a learning curve. Um, We're also bringing in expertise from the retailers, you know. um, So it's not as if we're going to lose the expertise. The challenge would be on how the current initiatives that are quite local will be rationalised, if they need to be rationalised. Out in Waitakere City, they're quite active with you know, with conservation, door knocking, and, and down to that level. Do you see water care adopting that across the region, or how do you work out how that kind of approach fits in? The Waitakere door knocking is a trust that Waitakere City has. Um, so that's the arm of doing that. And, and so we will be looking at what means we use to get the message across. And um, all options are open to us at the moment. Waitakere City believes the regional 15% target is too low and Watercare itself describes it as a stretch target that may be hard to achieve. Waitakere's Deputy Mayor Penny Hulse believes a stronger focus on conservation can delay the next major step to boost the region's supply. I think we have the capacity to reduce our water use significantly. There's no doubt that once people understand just how expensive those alternative water supplies are, that that will certainly you know, encourage people to, to reduce their water use. I think we need to understand the complexity of those new supplies. For instance, to keep taking water from the Waikato River isn't an option. It's simply under the consents that have been granted. There is a finite amount of water that the river can actually give up for Auckland to drink will need to investigate the concept of dams. These are complex and expensive and not popular in the community. With winter rains falling as normal, Auckland's water storage lakes have bounced back to above average levels. Conserving water will have faded from the minds of most. Next summer, as the region dries out again, it'll be a new Auckland Council and its new super water company which will be working out how to ensure that that supply keeps ahead of demand.
Radio New Zealand Insight programme was written and presented by Todd Nile. It was produced by Sue Ingram. And if you'd like to podcast other Insight programmes, they're available from the Insight webpage at radionz.co.nz forward slash insight.